there's no doubt in my mind that Frida Kahlo is one of those women who was just diferente. In her time growing up in Mexico, back in those 1920s, 1930s, 40s, and all the way up to the early 50s when she died, Frida Kahlo was not your average woman. She was very different, she was sometimes strange, very often misunderstood. I found a quote by her that I want to read to you in Spanish because I think it has a much deeper effect on me, at least. And I'll try to translate it as best as I can after. Solía creer que era la persona más extraña del mundo. Pero luego pensé que entre tanta gente en el mundo, debe de haber alguien que se sienta como yo. Me imagino que ella está ahí fuera pensando también en mí. Bueno, espero que si lees esto, sepas que sí, que es verdad. Estoy aquí y soy tan extraña como tú. She's saying, I used to think that I was the strangest person in the world. And then I thought, there must be someone else out there like me, just as weird and quirky. And so I imagine that if you're reading this, someone out there, I want you to know that yes, there is someone just as strange as you. Well, that's a loose translation, but you get the gist of it. I think that quote really got to me because it's the essence of what Diferente is all about. The idea that you could go through life thinking that you just never fit in, only to realize later that there are so many other people like you out there. To me, that's why Frida was such a trailblazer. This is the side of Frida Kahlo that a lot of people don't know. Most people know her as the artist, this trinket that you see at the store, or every airport in Mexico that you go to. But the fact is that Frida is so much more than that. I've learned so many great things from her, and after reading the book by Ariana Davis, my guest in this episode, I felt like I got to know her even better. Ariana Davis is the Senior Director of Editorial and Strategy at Oprah and Hearst Magazine's new multi-platform lifestyle brand. Oof, that was a hard one for me to say. She's also the author of the book, What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly. Ariana and I discussed how we learned so many things from Frida that we did not learn from our moms. Things that transcend the decades, like the importance of feminism, embracing your sexual desire. And one really important thing that we took away from Frida is how not to be in a toxic relationship. You're listening to Diferente. Estás escuchando Diferente, the bilingual podcast where we celebrate and explore the complexities of living life between two or more cultures. I'm your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith, a producer and creative consultant from Mexico City, living in the U.S., who loves hip-hop and cumbia. I created Diferente to learn, laugh, and grow alongside you with stories and interviews that relate to the bicultural experience. Let's get started. Ariana, welcome to Diferente. Bienvenida. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And well, first of all, hold on, let me stop myself. First things first, is it Ariana with an A or is it with an A? It's Ariana or Ariana, depending if you want to be, if you want to put the Latin emphasis, Ariana, but yeah, it's Ariana, not Ariana. So thank you okay. for asking. Thank you for asking because it's one of my biggest pet peeves and people do it all the time. And I just try to like let it roll, but I always appreciate when somebody actually asks. So thank you for asking. No, you're welcome. That's, uh, it's one of those things that I always have to ask because people used to, well, not used to, people tend to get my name wrong a lot. Mm -hmm. So 
I feel like, okay, if, if I want people to pronounce my name correctly, I need to make sure that I, you know, that I'm pronouncing their name correctly as well. <laughs> um, so you're a Latina. I read that your mom is Puerto Rican and that your dad is black. Did you feel like you were like fitting in when you were growing up or did you feel like you had to fight to be considered Latina enough, so to speak? Always, always fighting. Still to this day, to be honest with you, I think, um, and I appreciate you asking that question because I think it's, I mean, I could talk about this topic like all day, but, you know, growing up, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Maryland outside of Baltimore and, you know, where I grew up, there weren't that many Latinos and of the Latinos that there were, um, not many were Puerto Rican. And so, you know, growing up in a mostly white neighborhood, going to a mostly white school, being any kind of other period was like difficult enough and, and was, um, you know, always that sense of feeling like out of place. And so then also, you know, being a black woman and also being Latina, it definitely, you know, I think for my whole life has always been that feeling of never being enough. You know, my black friends would make jokes and be like, oh, you're, what are you? You're Mexican, right? Like trying to be like, make that a joke or my, you know, um, my Latin family on that side would like make fun of my Spanish or would like, you know, make condescending comments about black people in front of me. And like, oh. there's a of, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, like that I could talk about and unpack. And, you know, even my parents, you know, when they got married in the eighties, um, you know, my Puerto Rican family didn't speak to my mom for quite some time because she married a black man. And so there's a lot of like layers and, you know, pieces of like my, you know, biracial identity that I think, I think a lot of, um, I'll, I'll say just from my perspective and from the people that I've met and heard from throughout my life, I think a lot of Latinos who are like, you know, second or third generation struggle with that feeling of not being Latino enough, whether it's, you know, because of language or because of culture, it's just the, the natural things that happen. I'm finally now in my thirties at a place where I'm like, you know what? Like I am who I am. Love me or leave me alone. But it was a long journey to get here, if I'm being honest. Yes, it is. It is a long journey because I was just going to say, it's funny that it takes a lot of maturity to finally come to terms with who you are. Um, I was also in my late 20s, early 30s when I finally embraced being diferente, which is how I came up with the podcast. And also it took me a long time to be okay with the fact that sometimes I wasn't going to fit in completely into the Mexican culture and other times I just wasn't going to fit in completely into the American culture. And then add on top of that, I married a black man and now we have a biracial son who is black and is also Mexican. <laughs> and Biracial babies. Like I love it. I'm here for that, obviously. <laughs> No, but I'm saying like that's another layer where I have to be really careful about making sure that I don't make him feel like he's not enough of one or the other, right? So it's uh yeah, it's definitely a journey. Yeah, and it's something that you know your baby will 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 deal with in his own, you know, I I do think though that for someone like your son who's going to be growing up in a different time, I do think that by the time he gets to be in those awkward preteen teenage years of like <laughs> you know, figuring out your identity, I do think that the idea of being biracial or of different cultures or of being diferente or other is going to be, I think probably, or at least I hope, who knows, but yeah. I hope it will be different and it, and it will be, I think so many, you know, we're seeing the statistics rising of like multiracial people in this country, people who are coming from other places. Um, and I think that by, I at least hope that, that by that time, 
it won't be as like surprising to be like, oh, my dad is black and my mom is Mexican. Like it's not, you know, a big deal. But I think that um, assuming like we're around the same age, I think that like kids that grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s even, um, it was a different time. And it also, a lot of it, I think, depends where you live. Like, you know, I think one of my favorite things about living in New York now as an adult is like being in New York, like it's like no big deal here. Like me being black and Puerto Rican, Anyway, you know, like I walk into the bodega, everyone thinks I'm Dominican. Like it's like, it's like not, it's just New York is so much more of a melting pot, obviously. And so I think there's a difference between growing up in New York and then growing up in like suburban Maryland. Columbus, Ohio, which is where I grew up. And there was like, no, no one looked like me and definitely no one sounded like me. (laughs) No, I mean, but that's what creates that identity crisis is like not being exposed to people that look or sound like you. And then you are like, well, I don't fit in anywhere. So you start to, to question who you really are. Yeah, 100%. So we're kicking off Women's History Month with this episode. And I feel like, not to transition, but to transition, <laughs> I feel like we do talk a lot about feminism during this month, which, you know, it's interestingly, it's a word that I used to think was kind of dirty. There was a time when I was growing up that I didn't want to necessarily be associated with that word. But as I grew older and I matured, I started to understand the importance of being a feminist. And I think it's because my parents never really talked about feminism when I was growing up. So my exposure was super limited to just like what I read or what I saw in the media. Did you grow up learning about feminism? I feel like similar to you, I think that when I was growing up, feminism was like, there was like this stereotype of what a feminist was. It was like, you're a feminist if like, you don't shave your underarm hair and you <laughs> never get married and refuse to be with a man. And you just think that like, you know, it's just all, it's like, or you're a man hater. Right, right. Yeah. It's basically being like an anti-man person. And so I, I think that, you know, that was like the stereotype. And I, I think with time, um, social media, I think plays a big part of that too. So for me, I, I definitely don't think when I was like 13, 14, 15, that I would have been like, I am a feminist. Like yeah. I, I think I had a different, understanding but now growing up and really understanding you know language and just how you know feminism is really anyone anyone or any person who believes that women should have the same opportunities as anyone else like that's really all that it is so that's exactly yeah that's exactly how I look at it too it's like if you are for equal rights for all people then you're a feminist by default like that's to me it's 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 just as simple as that yeah as I mentioned earlier in the intro, you wrote a book about Frida Kahlo. Well, inspired by Frida Kahlo, I shouldn't say just about. And we're going to get to that. But the reason I'm asking about feminism is because I'd like to know your take on, like, how do you think Frida learned to be a feminist back in those days? So I don't even know if the word feminist was even around when she was, was alive. But I think that it's just really her actions. Like, I think that just the fact of, like, for me, it was like just studying her life and seeing um, the decisions that she made and the way that she chose to lead her life. Like the fact that she was a Mexican woman and she was married to a very famous artist, a muralist, Diego Rivera, who was like, you know, this icon, he was world, like world renowned when they were together. The fact that she still, you know, had the, the balls for lack of a better word to like, you know, really like 
she still like pushed, she created her own art. She's still in interviews. Like my, one of my favorite quotes that's in the book is, um, she did an interview with this journalist and said something along the lines of like, yeah, Diego paints okay for a little boy, but it is I who am the real artist. And like that to me, just, yes. like, it just like shows Frida and like who she was. And I don't think that she was like, you know what, when I talk to this reporter today, I really want to show that I am a feminist or that I am a like women's rights leader. Like, no, it was just like, I think through her being and her personality and her appreciation for always being, um, for just wanting to be bold and to, and to be like herself and to not care about what society had to say. I think that that's kind of how she was a feminist and that like, she just paved the way for other people. I think also a lot of that comes out in her art. Um, like the fact that in the 1930s, she painted her miscarriage. That oh, was her as a woman, you know, painting a painful experience that she went through that many women go through. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being one of her most famous paintings of all time. But during that time, it was 100% not, and still isn't. I mean, if you look at Chrissy Teigen, just a couple months ago, people were criticizing her in 2020 um, for, you know, posting photos of her after losing her, uh, losing a child. and. Frida Kahlo was more of like a trailblazer for women and somebody who like didn't care about what society had to say. And that to me is what shows that she was a feminist. But I don't think that it's necessarily something she like set out to be, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're trying to say, because it wasn't even really a coined term, I, I think, at that point. But she had that fervor in her. She had that, you know, that passion, that belief system. But I just found it interesting because she grew up in a house where her mom was very conservative, like super religious, probably fairly old school. Now, her dad was a little bit more open minded, but I don't really know where she would have picked up those ideas other than maybe from her colleagues or her classmates. It was an interesting time to be a woman in Mexico, especially a woman who decided to be an artist. I heard you're right. Her dad definitely was, I think of the two parents, the like more accepting one, but like she even like one of the the most like well-known early Frida stories is that she showed up for a family portrait wearing men's clothing. Like, and I don't, I don't think it was like, because she, studied um you know anything or like that she was like really trying to like you know I think she just was like having fun and was like you know who says that I have to just only wear a dress to this family portrait why can't I like dabble in this like I think that she just was someone who was wired that way and she was really free-spirited and was like not okay with just accepting what society told her she should be or what she should do um, she like to have fun and be creative and experiment and push boundaries. And I don't know that that was something that was learned. I'm sure she was. I mean, I definitely think, especially when it comes to like her political beliefs, it's really clear that she was like really um, influenced by Diego and by different groups that she was a part of when she was in high school. And like her political beliefs, I saw there was a lot of influence, but I think that that just like mischievous Frida, like who wanted to be, you know, a badass and do things a different way. That that was just like part of her spirit and who she was. Yeah, that's true. I, I have to say too that like it took me watching the watching Salma Hayek portray Frida Kahlo in the film back in the early 2000s. Like it took me watching that to start to understand what feminism is, but also to start to kind of love myself a little bit more for who I am and who I was back then. But back in the day, I mean, I would say early 2000s, 
there wasn't a lot of representation of Mexican um, pride in the United States. And I'm an immigrant. I'm from Mexico City. So for me to see that in the big screen, like that was a big deal for me. And it really helped me kind of embrace my Mexican side or not just my side because like I'm all Mexican, but still, you know what I mean? Like it really helped me embrace that Mexican uh, culture that I was kind of missing for a while. Uh, it helped me love who I was, but also it taught me that feminism was feminism was more of an intersectional thing because that's something that I used to look at as more as a white people thing or white women, <laughs> you know, feminism being like about white women. And when I saw Frida being so powerful as a figure in Mexico, I started to understand how it was more intersectional. If Frida were alive today, what do you think she would think about modern day feminism? I mean, I think that I, I think if Frida was alive today, she would be one of the most vocal, um, most outspoken activists about feminism. I think especially, you know, so many of the movements that have kind of organically popped up over the last few years, including the Me Too movement. And even just, I think because of social media, women have such a bigger, louder, more powerful voice and are able to really advocate for themselves um, to speak up for themselves. So if I think about Frida now, I 100% think that she would be one of those people who was really outspoken and using their platforms, whether it was social media or um, whether it was still her art, just in a new, you know, 2021 version. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of conversation, as you pointed to, about like intersectional um, feminism and just, I think we're having a lot of conversations specifically in the Latinx community about um, how the Latinx community can be more supportive of like black women specifically. And then there's also the idea that like, you know, feminism is a white woman's idea. Like, but what about, um, women of color? So there's still, I think a lot of conversations that I could see Frida feeling very, um, deeply about. And just, I think that she would be advocating for, you know, every group to be represented and for feminism to not just be for white women or for feminism to not just be for black women so, like that. It's like, we think about how, what, what it means when we talk about women's rights, making sure that we're considering like, yes, women's rights applies to all women, but women's rights might be different for a black woman than a white woman. Women's rights are different from a Latinx woman versus a, a Asian American woman. So I could see her just Having really studied her and her beliefs and just how outspoken she was, I think that she would be, she would have a lot to say, I think, on all, on all of those topics. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and in general, I feel like even though she was a woman who I would consider to be slightly privileged. I mean, I know that her family didn't have a lot of money, but once she married Diego, she came into more means. I think that in general, she had a very um, socialist kind of view of the world. Well, actually communist, to be specific, as you said before. But, you know, in a way, it was like she did have that desire for equality and that desire for representation. So I, th I think that she would probably I would say that she might be a little bit disappointed in some of the the struggles that we're still going through today, because, I mean, reading through the book that you wrote, I find that there are a lot of similarities to what she was talking about then that are still of issue today. <laughs> so I, I think she might be a little bit disappointed um, about where the movement has gone or what, you know, what little progress has been made in some things. But maybe hopefully she'd be inspired to also continue in the journey with us. Um, 
So I want to talk about a few things that I also learned from Frida Kahlo, specifically two things that I learned from her that I did not learn from my mom. Uh, one is feminism, as we were just talking about, and how feminism is so important. But the other one is how sex does not make you a hoe. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like that was just something that when I was growing up, I always looked at sex as this like forbidden thing in my family. It was very much not talked about. Um, it was more like just the understanding of you don't do it until you get married and that's it. There's like no other conversation related to this. Um, how about you? Like what are two things that you learned from Frida? I mean, I think everything you just said, like, let's be real conversations about sex. I think in most, I mean, I grew up, you know, Catholic and my mom is, you know, my mom's side of the family is the Puerto Rican side. So like, even <laughs> like you already know, um, yeah, I, I like, so even like, I remember getting my period, it was just like this, like, Ooh. like foreign thing. Like we don't talk about our bodies and sex. And so I definitely think Frida's, um, Frida being so in touch with her sexuality and even like, you know, there's a couple, I had a, a chapter about sex in the book and one of her quotes of like, you know, make love, take a back bath, make love again. Just like how she's, you know, she, she did certain interviews with reporters, like from her bed and while like sucking on a lollipop, like she was a very sexual and sensual person. And I, so I think that, um, even while just studying her, it was something that I think that I really realized more the more research I did, but then also just for myself being like, I can take notes. Like who says I can't, you know, be speak more freely about sex and my sexuality and sensuality. So I think that that's definitely one that I share with you and that like, that's definitely not a mentality or like life lessons that my mom was sharing with, with me. Right. Um, I think another thing that comes to mind is I feel like obviously like, you know, I, when I wrote the book, I, I try to be careful to not say it's like, it's not a blueprint for like how you should live your life just like Frida. I think it's more about like, you know, the lessons that I hope people can learn from just a woman who lives very boldly ahead of her time. And so I think for me- Which like, by the way, like I really appreciate just as a side note, cause I'm, I'm just not big on like self-help books. And I feel like yours is more like, here's how you live by example. Like that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I am not actually a self-help reader. I don't really like self-help books. And like, so when this opportunity to write this book came about, that was the number one thing where I was like, I'm going to write this my way. I'm not going to write it like a traditional self-help book or like a traditional biography because I'm not really a big reader of both. I'm actually more of a fiction girl. And so I was like, I want it to be, feel more creative and more real and not just be like, here's how to live your life according to Frida, but more like, this woman was badass and was far ahead of her time. And I think that as a super fan of hers, there are a lot of lessons and like little nuggets of inspiration we can take from her life. Um, so, yeah. So I think that like, for me, like there's definitely a lot of those lessons that I did not learn from like my mom. But um, another one I was going to say is, you know, Frida and Diego had a very toxic, complicated relationship. Ooh, yeah. um, there's a whole, you know, a lot. He's there a lot in the book. Um, a lot in her work and I definitely don't think that like their relationship was something to aspire to in any way <laughs> um however I think that the one kind of lesson that I took that was surprising for me after really reading the book was like even though I didn't agree with her you know staying with him after she cheated he cheated on her with her sister or like any of the other problems that they had or um, any of the other women he cheated on her with <laughs> Uh, there was so many problematic elements of their relationship. But what I can say that I really realized 
is, you know, she loved who she loved and she loved him passionately and she didn't care what anybody had to say. Like she was like, and I think that that also goes back to everything else we've been talking about with Frida, which is that she was very like, I do what I want in my own way. And I don't really care about anyone else's opinions. And so I think for me, that was something that I grew up very, like always being worried about what other people have to say, always being worried about like, you know, what will the family think? Or like, we, you know, other people's opinions or um, doing things to please your family or to please like, you know, other people. And I think that's that, a very Latina thing of you to do. Exactly. <laughs> That's, that's, that's literally, I mean, it comes from my mom's side and my dad's side, both, you know, it's like, that's how I grew up. And so my, like my mom would have, would never have given me the, the advice of like, Eha, you better love who you love. And that's it. Like, it was like, no, you better find a man with money who can take care of you, who can do X, Y, Z, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, I think that now, you know, with reading the book and with like, really understanding Frida and her love for Diego was like, at the end of the day, I don't care if you think he is the elephant to my dove. I don't care if you think that he's a womanizer. I don't care what anyone, what anyone else thinks. Like I love him and this is my husband. And th that was her decision and she stuck with it. And so I think for me, it was a lesson in like, sometimes you just have to do what's right for you and not care so much about what other people think. Well, as I get older, I start to realize that it's very easy to make judgments about other people's relationships when you're not the one in the relationship. So I start to really consider the fact that you don't really know what it's like to be in that relationship. <laughs> so for you to make a judgment on how other people are handling their, you know, their love life or whatever, it's, it's none of your business <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> None of your business. Yeah. And I feel like that's, you know, that was her business. Um, not necessarily something that I would aspire to, for sure. Nowadays, it seems like everyone with a camera and a microphone is a content creator. Don't get me wrong. I love that the internet has allowed so many people to test their creativity. But when it comes to your message making an impact, wouldn't you rather partner with a seasoned producer? Because your brand is more than just a business. It's a story. So let me help you tell that story. This is Maribel, the host of Diferente. I'm a TV documentary and podcast producer who understands that your content should be working for your brand, not against your bottom line. If you're ready to produce videos or a podcast in English or in Espanol that builds trust and turns your audience into loyal customers, go to maribelqs.com forward slash ready to learn how you can level up your content. How do you think that she learned about sex, though, in that era? Now, she was she was queer, which I, I always thought was so fascinating. I'm like, oh, how does she live this life like in this such a weird time to again, to be a woman who was so liberated about sex? You know, it's really interesting. And this was something that I actually I had I think I had heard about it was like kind of aware of, but I didn't really totally know the full story until I wrote the book, which is that her as far as we know anyway, just based on like her diaries and her letters and um, just different, you know, stories that people in her life told, it seems as though her first sexual experience was actually with a woman who was her teacher at her school. And then her mom found out about it after she read some letters between the two of them. And so she, her mom pulled her out of school and put her into a different school. And so that oh. I think, you know, it seems like just from my understanding of her story, like Frida had a like early, I think she was, I want to say like 12 or 13. It was like pretty early. So she had an early um, beginning to her sexual, you know, awakening, if you want to call it that. And it was with the woman who was a teacher. Um, and so I think that those, you know, that definitely I think played a, a had to have played a part in 
her approach to sex and her thoughts around sex. And even, um, you know, she had a steady boyfriend in high school, Alejandro, who was the one who was with her when she had the trolley accident. And, you know, they were sexually active when, you know, she was in high school. So I think that she just was like, again, I don't know that it was like something that she learned. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it came from like this teacher that she had this, obviously now we can say it was a very inappropriate yeah, abuse. <laughs> I mean, her her teacher, who was obviously much older, and yeah, you know, Krita in um, I believe uh, I have to like triple check this, but I believe that I read and I might have put this in the book too that I think that Frida said to her mom that it was consensual, but at, you know, at that age, she was too young mm-hmm. to really say that it was consensual. That you know, so it's definitely interesting to think about and to look at her and her approach to sex when you have that mm. in context with everything um and then you know obviously as she got older and her relationship with diego their situation was very complicated in that he didn't believe in monogamy she said at first that she was fine with that but obviously once they got married and they really were together it was like okay i i thought i was fine with this but maybe i'm not you know i feel like that's kind of what happened there and then she had her own affairs with both men and women and so i think that she was I would say if she, I don't know how she would feel about different labels because again, most of them didn't exist during her time, but I, I would say she probably was like, you know, just sexually fluid and was just queer and gender didn't matter to her as much when it came to pleasure as, um, just pleasure. So I think that that to me is kind of my like understanding of her relationship with sex and, and, and her own sexuality. Yeah, that actually makes me think of things differently a little bit now knowing this information um, about the teacher. And it explains a lot, I think, about the relationships that she developed later in life. Again, like we don't know all the details, so it's hard to judge, but it's definitely an interesting look at this, you know, dynamic that she had um, throughout her life. So now I want to talk about your book, What Would Frida Do?, which is a guide to living boldly. It's funny to me that you wrote this book for women to be able to live that way because I don't know, in a way, like when I started reading it and then I read that introduction, I kind of felt like you were insecure a little bit about going forward with the project. You kind of felt like, what are people going to say? Like, I'm not Mexican, all these different things that you were going through. But in a way, like you were already bold, like you had done some really bold things before you even wrote this book in your career. Um, I read about how you, you know, basically followed this woman into the bathroom to to be able to like create a networking relationship with someone who opened up the doors for you in your industry. And that to me was super freaking bold. So you already had that within you, but yet when you were writing this book, you had a lot of insecurities. So I find that really interesting. Is that what inspired you to write this? Um, it's not what inspired me. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, and thank you for saying that. And for, you know, I, what inspired me to just explain kind of the backstory of the book is actually the process happens a little bit the other way around for me. And that actually my publisher, Hachette Books, their imprint, Seal Press, they reached out to me because they were interested in publishing a book about Frida. They were thinking during these times of like feminism and women's empowerment that a book about this icon that we're still to this day are all talking about could be interesting. And they heard through the grapevine that I was a really big Frida fan and they had been following my work, you know, writing a lot about women of color specifically. So they reached out and asked if I had any thoughts or ideas. And the idea for me of like, what would Frida do came about because... I, 
again, like there's been so many books written about Frida. There's a million Frida things out in the world. There's <laughs> yeah. some Hayek movie. So for me, I was like, okay, I love Frida. She's like, you know, one of my biggest inspirations and icons. But like, if I'm going to write something about her, what do I want it to be? What do I feel like I can contribute to like this narrative about her that's been going on for years and years? And so for me, it was like, just wanting to share someone who is a free, like a real Frida fan who knows a lot about her life. What are some of the lessons that I've learned that have taught me to be more bold and how can I, you know, hopefully share that with other people to inspire them to live boldly as well. So that was kind of how the idea came about. And um, as I was, you know, in conversations with my publisher about, and I was getting really excited, but I did have this, you know, I did have some insecurities in my mind of like, I've never written a book before. I'm a bookworm. Like my apartment is, you know, stacked with books. I've been reading voraciously since I was a kid. I've always wanted to write a book. Um, but not only would this be my first book, which I've never done before, it would be about Frida, who like so many books have already been written about. And she's iconic and someone that people feel very passionately about. So if I get anything wrong, like people will come for me. Then there was the aspect of like, she's also Mexican and yes, I'm Latina, but I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not Mexican. So all those insecurities and then, you know, imposter syndrome, it's, it's a real thing. Even with all of the um, accolades that you so graciously mentioned of like things I've done in my career, all of that is great, but it's still not like writing a book about Frida. And it's like, you know, it, so, and it, you just, you just have those, those doubts and those insecurities and those, those questions in your mind. And you know, I had a lot of that as I was writing. And then I think one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had was, was like, well, I went to Mexico city actually to write. Um, I spent a week in Mexico city and kind of like, I took myself on like a writer's retreat and I went and stayed in Coyacan and I went to La Casa Azul and I went to different places Frida used to frequent. And I tried to just have this like creative space in my little Airbnb to just focus on writing. And it was while I was there and I like really felt like I just was like really channeling Frida's energy and just like studying her and just immersing myself in her world that like, I, it was almost like I just unlocked something inside myself that was like, if you're going to do this, like, don't try to write it like a typical biography. Don't try to write a typical self-help. How do you, Ariana, like if, if you're like, you know, thinking about Frida and her unique imprint she left in this world, how do you, Ariana, want to approach this book? And so that was what made me say, like, I just got to keep it real with my readers as I'm writing. And, like, I have, I'm going to tell them, like, as I write these words, I'm feeling insecure, but I'm pushing through. And as I'm writing this, like, I'm questioning X, Y, Z. So that was kind I think of that's what... I think that's what really connected with me. Like, honestly, reading that in the in the beginning of the book was like, okay, like she's setting the tone and that makes total sense. And I appreciated that because I was like, yeah, sometimes people do kind of skip over these things, the reasons why they are led to do something, to create a work. It can look very much like surface, like they're just kind of trying to take advantage of a moment or taking advantage of, of another person, you know, of another person's story. And the fact that you were so vulnerable in the beginning of the book really helps set the stage. Like it really helps set the tone for the entire journey that you take down the path of learning about Frida and just learning about how you can kind of apply that in your life. So I thought it was cool. And obviously I'm, I'm always very appreciative of like authentic voices and that like vulnerability that people throw in. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's something I think about a lot, especially like now, I think that I'm in a like position of power as, you know, with my day job with Oprah and also having written a book and like, 
um, even on social media, like I try my best. And I think the lesson that I did learn from, from Oprah is that like, I want to always be my most authentic real self. And I feel like, like, yes, maybe I post the like glamorous highlights of like traveling with Oprah or like meeting the celebrity or like, you know, wearing this like beautiful outfit. But I also want to be like, this is me home in my sweatpants. Be like, this is the real me or like, I'm going through a hard time right now and I want to keep it real. I don't think that we should only just show the highlight reels in any instance, whether it's while writing a book or um, on social media or any of those things. So I think, you know, vulnerability, I think is really important. And I think it's also something that is the reason why Frida's art is like such, it's still to this day, something that we talk about and that gets so much love in the art world because like her artwork was just so, I mean, talk about vulnerable. Like we talked about the miscarriage painting and we talk about like one of her most famous free, uh, paintings, the two Frida's. Um, there's like so many, like of, of so much of her work that just showed a woman in turmoil or a woman in pain or a woman who was heartbroken. And so I think when it comes to vulnerability and authenticity, like it's just so, so important. Oh, I, I would say that that was one of the reasons why I was able to really kind of immerse myself in the journey that you took in writing this book. And, and it makes a difference, honestly, as a reader. What's the biggest change Frida's life has inspired within you? I always thought that I was like, you know, like when I was, even when I was writing the book, like, you know, her final message that she wrote um, on a, her last painting before she died was Viva La Vida. And I think I always thought of some, I thought of myself as someone who like loves to live life to the fullest and like always will like live life boldly. And then the pandemic hit. And I think then, you know, I, I had already finished writing the book. Um, I ended up having some like final rounds of edits at the, like around the beginning of the pandemic. And the book came out in October of last year when we were like, you know, had been in the pandemic for maybe six months or so. So I think for me, it's been interesting because I think that that message of Viva La Vida has come to me. Like I've, I, I'll be honest with you. Like I've had a hard time in this last year and that, you know, I live by myself I live in New York City, which is like, you know, the big epicenter of the pandemic between that and like everything that happened with Black Lives Matter this, you know, over the summer and just like getting used to like working remotely, just being on my laptop all day, every day, you know, there's, it's just been a lot, a lot, a lot. And so I think that there was a lot of down moments and it would be in those moments of like, just remembering like little just moments from the book or, or, or tidbits that I learned from Frida specifically also like, Viva la vida. Like, even though we're in a pandemic, like, how can you make the most of this? How can you still make your home feel like a creative haven since you're going to be here so much? Like, how do you like make the most of it? How do you insert some of that like alegria and joy and beauty that Frida loves so much into your everyday life? Even if it is just in these, you know, this little studio apartment and even if it's yeah. like, um, So I think that that's the biggest lesson that has really stayed with me is like, even when shit gets hard and times are tough, like how do you really just like continue to like channel that idea of like living your life to the fullest? Oh, that's powerful. <laughs> oh, that's powerful. And I feel like I feel for you because I honestly, I, I can't imagine like, um, not having the support of my husband. And, you know, like I do think about that a lot. Like, If I was going through this pandemic alone, like it would be very different, very different for sure. Like that, does he get on my nerves sometimes? Yes, absolutely. But it does help to have like that, you know, at least that kind of like person around you that you can talk to. 
<laughs> you know, like when, when you really can't go anywhere, it's, it's a different situation for sure. Um, but I'm like super inspired by you. And I know that you're going to be inspiring a lot of women and a lot of people in general. And I'm proud to, you know, to have read the book. I'm proud to share that with people. And just in general, congratulations on your awesome promotion, but which by the way, I, I read about. Um, so like a lot of exciting things happening for you. And I just, I wish you the best. Thank you so much. It means so much to me that you took the time to read the book and I love everything that you're doing with your podcast. And, you know, I think we all could use a little uplifting, especially as women. So the work that you're doing is also so important and so appreciated. So thank you so much for, t- for taking the time, especially with having a, an eight month old. I, I have a puppy and he keeps me on my toes. So I can't even imagine an actual infant. Like God, <laughs> it's, it's a friggin' journey. Let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Diferente. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it. Make sure you let me know also in the reviews or on social media at maribel underscore QS what you thought about the episode and what other topics you want to explore on Diferente. Until next time, keep living courageously through your growth journey. Hasta pronto.